You're listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 6. Welcome to Customer Perspective. I'm Helen Wilson. I'm the Global Chief Experience Officer for our CX and Channel Performance businesses here at Ipsos. And today on Customer Perspective, we're going to be doing things a little differently. We have got an Ipsos podcast mashup going on. So that's a mashup between our Customer Perspective and our Educated Conjecture podcast. Let me explain. So we've invited Mike College and Ray Kong to join us. Mike leads Ipsos Public Affairs in Canada, and he's the co-host, along with Sean Simpson of Educated Conjecture. So that's the Ipsos podcast that basically combines what the public thinks with what experts think. And in each episode, Mike and Sean and an informed guest, somebody who knows what they're talking about, which is always a good start, examines a current or an emerging issue and, and talk about what's happening today the future impact, and they reflect then on the steps that might need to be taken to generate a better outcome for tomorrow. So I guess, you know, from an overall perspective, coming from public affairs, they have that citizen lens. And then we have Ray Kong. So uh, he's president in our Ipsos client organisation. He's previously led Ipsos CX businesses in both South Africa and Canada. He knows a thing or two about the customer and CX. And you might actually recognise Ray from a recent episode of Customer Perspective when he joined us with his client and fellow CX expert Jasper Lamb of TD Bank. So Ray's representing Customer Perspective, which all you loyal listeners will know is our Ipsos podcast series aimed at all of you who are concerned in some way with helping your organisation deliver on its brand promise to customers. So that's all about the customer lens. So, Mike, Ray, welcome to your respective citizen and customer corners. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be here, Helen. Wonderful to be here again. It's wonderful to have you back, Ray. <laughs> is, it a, is it a mashup of a mashup if Ray's actually been mashup on Educated Conjecture as well? Oh, you know what? I've never met a mic I didn't like. Oh, <laughs> wait, there was a oh, double entendre. Oh, you mean a entendre. microphone you have that <laughs> didn't like, There was a double entendre there that I didn't mean. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I can see where this is going oh, already. Yeah. Can oh, my do, gosh. Can we all do all of it in rhyming couplets, do you think? We could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to get hard when we talk about social cohesion, but yeah, we'll figure it out. Iambic pentameter might be better. <laughs> yeah, that's my challenge to you. Well, thank you for having us. You are so welcome. All right, Mike. Um, okay, I know you're a co-host, the fabulous Educated Conjecture. That's a great name, by the way. I like the title of that. Um, what do you actually do beyond impressing our guests? <laughs> well, in addition to uh, my, in addition to the podcast, uh, as you know, to my day job is um, head of public affairs and corporate reputation in Canada, which means, in a nutshell. We help our clients, whether they're governments, associations, not-for-profits, businesses, understand Canadian public opinion, where it is, where it's headed, and how to use that knowledge to further their objectives, which can range from 
getting more people to donate blood or signing up for for different donor registries to charitable organizations to helping businesses you know develop and communicate their ESG initiatives so it's it's pretty broad but um you know we there's things we don't touch we don't touch the customer satisfaction we don't touch the marketing side so that in a nutshell that's what we do now, Ray, I'm sure everybody has heard from you already, because why would they not have listened to your previous episode? But just in case, just give us a quick run through. What do you do beyond being invited on podcasts a lot of the time? Well, like most client officers in Ipsos, um, my job is to make sure that the clients for which I am responsible get the most out of Ipsos and get the most out of the information that we provide uh, to the marketplace and to our clients and to cross our own boundaries and bust our own silos and hence mashups like this and hence bringing them the info that that Mike and his team produce on citizen sentiment to a marketing consumer customer lens and to try to make sense of it for you know the clients that I work with mostly in financial services right then i am going to start with a big old question because why not mike Give us your citizen take. What is keeping today's citizens awake? What what matters to them well, right now? Oof. You know, it might it might be easier to list the things that aren't keeping them awake um, in today's world. Um, you know, if you go back a couple of years ago, for the first time in in my career, um, which has been more than a few years, was the only time globally we were aligned on an issue, and that was coronavirus and the pandemic, and everybody was in the same camp and focused on it. Where was it going? You know, today, if you had to pick a top issue, it's inflation cost of living. It's in, you know, top issue in more countries than anywhere else. But it's really compounded by sort of the fatigue of the pandemic. We aren't quite out of it yet. Well, in many places, we're not out of it at all. Um, and on top of that, there are also, you know, a series of existential issues. If you look longer term, climate change and sustainability is in, in the wheelhouse, not necessarily urgent, but important. If you look into Europe, the war in Ukraine obviously has a bigger challenge, and obviously that trickles over everywhere else, but more pressing there in a, in a lot of countries, uh, crime and corruption are still in the top. So you really have a a bundle of issues combined with the fatigue of the pandemic and what we've been through that um, have have lowered our confidence in institutions and, and really taken a hit on our personal economic security and how we feel like the world is heading out head for us. So, Ray, I turn that question over to you. But, if, you know, of course, the reality is not the case that we have customers and we have citizens. They are both one and the same. So anything that you might talk to has to be considered in that wider context. But 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 I'm interested in your take. Give, give me the, the customer-specific perspective, if you would. I think the way that man, it's manifesting itself is customers are expecting the companies that they that they patronize to to help them with some of these issues. They know that 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 a bank is not the cause of inflation. They know that a grocery store is not the cause of inflation. But their expectations are well, what can a grocery store do to help me? How can the, my grocery store help me with the high cost of living and the high cost of bread, milk, and eggs? How does a bank help me manage through these inflationary times and my increased uh, mortgage payment requirements when my income hasn't risen as fast as my cost of living? So while the expectations are not that they are going to solve the root causes, the expectations, I think, of customers of many organizations, whether that's a bank, a grocery store, a telco, uh, an insurance company, a post office, Amazon, how do you help me 
navigate these times. And in addition, one of the broader expectations that we're starting to see is customers are blurring the lines between what they expect from different companies. And so how often do we hear, how come the post office can't act more like Amazon? How come the grocery store can't act more like um, (laughs) Amazon? How come um, my bank can't act more like Apple? And so these expectations are heightened in an environment of of wanting um, the, the the companies to whom I give my business to help, and it's a tough place for for companies to be in. It's funny we we've heard that in the public sector side for a while now, particularly in the health health space, right, where people say. I show up to my doctor's office. Um, they may or may not be prepared for me. They're often late. But I show up at my Honda dealer, and guess what? They, they're they like, how are you today, Mr. Kong? Last time you were in, you had this done, this done, this done. Today you're for this. It's a 2 o'clock appointment. We'll have you on your way by 3.15 as prom. And, you know, how can it be clockwork for something as a as like an automobile, but yet something as important as my health? Um, it's like I'm a brand new patient every day with the same physician. So, you know, we start to see those kind of things trickle over. I, I uh, had to establish or I was establishing internet service for um, for a place the other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And I called our local telecommunications provider because they are 10 days late in their appointment in, in establishing the internet service. And I talked to three different people and I had to provide three different times my name, the property name, my order number, my phone number, three different times to three different people, and then I got disconnected. How does this happen in 2022? It's crazy. Um, And so, yes, there are staffing issues, and we'll need to come back to that later in terms of what keeps executives up at night and what keeps businesses (laughs) up at night. Um, But but it's what I'm seeing uh, in the the work that I look at is... uh, um, a lower level of tolerance for that type of experience. Yeah, and we see that in our data too, right? The, we know when our disruption barometer goes down, people have less tolerance in general, sentiments down, they're grumpier, they're more upset. So things that they might let slide on a happy day, um, you know, become touch points where they remember and they they focus on them a lot more, so... Maybe you can describe this disruption barometer a little bit more, Mike, and then I can talk about how I interpret it for my marketing clients. Sure. So so our view is that, as, as Helen said, citizens and consumers aren't separate. And, and particularly as we've over the last decade or so, as CSR and ESG and responsibilities and expectations of companies have, have grown, as you noted, Ray, to be involved in more social issues, whether it's helping on affordability or tackling sustainability or diversity or a number of those things, they become more closely tied. And I think the best way to put it is someone once said to me in a focus group, you know, I vote every four years and that can help change things, but I spend every day and I'd like my money to have a similar impact to my vote on those broad social issues. So what the disruption barometer does is actually combine a series of metrics that looks at both citizen sentiment and consumer sentiment um, and puts them into one. So we don't just measure is now a good time to spend, how are you financially? We also look at direction of the country, strength of the country, quality of life, a number of those things. And to follow the theme, we have a bit of a mashup and we look at them every month across 28 countries and we're able to measure them against how they've done in the past, how the countries have done in the past, and then look at them based on demography, 
gender, whole range of things to determine, you know, what is the real sort of citizen combined citizen consumer sentiment. Um, and for our clients, it's it's a little bit about what's what's your operating environment today. And in the CX world, when we look at that information, what we tell our clients is that a negative disruption barometer, as it is in the U.S. and Canada, and where else is it particularly negative right now, Mike, globally? Uh, most of the G- G7, with the exception of uh, France and Italy, um, Great Britain's actually climbed a little bit as they've sort of started to sort out a few political issues. Uh, but generally, if you look across the G7, um, we're down since late 2020. So we came out of the pandemic by by the uh, end of 2020. We had vaccines. The economic growth has started to return, and people generally sentiment was like, "I think we're on the right track." But I think what happened is um, we'd taken our eye off of things like climate change and a number of other issues, and uh, sort of woke up in late 2020 and realized those things hadn't changed, and then inflation started to come in. A negative score on the disruption barometer, the way we interpreted it in a customer lens and a CX lens is that customers are grumpy. And when customers are grumpy, they'll spend less. They'll want more value for the, for the money they do spend. And more importantly, they'll be more demanding of their, uh, their companies. Um, we have seen in some sectors here in Canada, CSI scores declining across the board because of that grumpiness. From a brand perspective, less forgiving for mistakes, uh, more demanding for ESG and other um, type initiatives. And so it's really important, uh, we think, it's really important to understand the the citizen context and the, the broader context in interpreting CSI and experience events and understanding how to enhance and change the experience in a grumpy environment versus a less than grumpy environment, which we have seen in the past, but not in the recent past. Not in the recent past. And it's how do you empathize with people, right? I mean, it's harder to empathize with people when they're, when they're feeling grumpy and and disadvantaged and concerned and worried than it is when they're, they're in a more positive mood. Right. And, and then you look at their issue set, as we talked at the beginning, you know, you, you can empathize on the sustainability issue, but if it's cost of living that's really driving them and quality of life concerns, it's a very different conversation. You know, that's a really good word, empathy. And and I was asked by a client the other day as we were talking about this, you know, the client rightfully said, as all clients should do to us, well, what do I do with this? How how do I, what do I do with this? And I, I said exactly what you said, Mike, is your communications have to be more empathetic. There was a particularly tone deaf advertising campaign here in Canada from a financial institution about four or five months ago. And the creative was a person on a treadmill and the person was running on the treadmill and a character off to the side who had your money on a t-shirt. So symbolizing your money said, it's time to put your money back to work. It's time to invest, get off that treadmill, grow, grow, you know, in, in an environment where people are worrying about how do I pay for groceries for $10 loaves of bread interest rates going up, how am I going to meet my mortgage payments? Not not even those that are using food banks and trying to live hand to mouth. A advertising campaign on television, broadly based, talking about grow your money, it's time to invest. I understand that the people who use food banks are not the target market. But boy, oh boy, like that type of tone deafness in communications is really, really dangerous at this time. Yeah, and I think a lot of those are driven by, you know, 
companies looking at macroeconomic indicators because the macroeconomic indicators, you know, in, in Canada, GDP growth has been pretty good. <laughs> um, unemployment is record lows, right? So you would look at some of those and go, the overall economy looks pretty good. But cut a couple levels down and realize that, you know, and we've talked about this before, Ray, the, the K-shaped economy, um, it's not just a K-shaped rebound. It's actually, a you know, becoming a very K-shaped economy where the bottom of the K is struggling and the top has started to droop, right? Those people who got through the pandemic with, um, you know, had indexed pensions or had enough capital to see their capital grow are now starting to realize that, oh, hang on, <laughs> it's it's I'm not recession proof. I'm not inflation proof. And, and so we're starting to see everybody uh, uh, tip down a little bit more than in the past. Yeah, I think the next level down is the really important part. Really not, you know, understanding things at the macro level is really important. But on whichever dimension our uh, our clients choose to define the K, whether that's by age, whether that's by income, whether that's by life stage, whether that's by other demographic factors. Um, our advice to clients is that you really have to look at your experiences, um, your scores, your brand, uh, using the two arms of the K, or maybe it's even three arms, and really understanding it at a level level down, because the messaging for the upper end of the K is not resonating with the lower end, and vice versa. And so, one size fits all is not a good strategy going forward in communications, in marketing, in brand development, in any of those um, activities. Ray, you've alluded to this with your conversation you're having now, but just to pick you back up on a point you talked about beforehand. I mean, obviously, here we're discussing those things that are top of mind that are, that are bothering our, our consumers, our customers, our, our citizens. You mentioned the executive standpoint. In, in, what's your take in terms of what's keeping them awake at night? Now, clearly, um, demanding customers uh, who are um, having higher expectations, who have liquid expectations, are indeed among them, as, as well as this broader context that you're both describing. But give me your take on that. Sort of executive focus right now. Wow, I feel like many of them are in a very no-win situation. Um, I was talking to a group of clients, uh, fairly senior ones, a, a few weeks ago, and this particular client, their uh, contact center scores are horrible. Uh, the call handling time is up. the The wait time is up. The service uh, scores are down. And, you know, I was describing this to them and describing verbatims to them about, well, you know, I waited an hour, then got disconnected, kind of like my experience that I had with the telco the other day. And the senior most person in on this call who was responsible for contact centers basically shrugged and said, I can't get staff. I know that this is a problem. I know that we need to do better. I know that we need to find ways to do better, but I just have no tools to solve this because I cannot get people onto the phone and I cannot develop alternate tools fast enough in order to do that. And so what I would say that executives are thinking about, the ones that I talk to anyway, it, it is all about staffing. It is all about the ability to, I, I, we know what to do. We know what the problem is, but trying to solve it is so difficult. And then, and then we talk about their small business clients. So small businesses here in Canada, as I dare say, in the UK and many other parts of the world, are not able to find staff, are not able to 
even if they wanted to grow, they couldn't grow. They can't grow because they can't find staff. And so I would say staffing is the biggest issue. And therefore, staff experience and employee experience is the issue that we need to be focusing um, with our clients on and helping our clients improve because it's not a quick fix, but it is one of the only roads out of the conundrum that, that we're in because if we uh, pay attention to our own statistics and Daryl Bricker's excellent book called Empty Planet, this is not a problem that's going away uh, soon. The, the population globally is going to decline, um, continuing to decline and uh, exceed the uh, ability of organizations to staff and to grow uh, in a declining population world, which I can't remember the date where the, the tipping point date. 2030. 2030. Not that far away. Eight years away, we're going to tip and start to decline from 7.5 billion uh, precipitously downwards. Now, of course, oh, I that's... Thought, sorry, 2030 is in most developed countries when the um, senior population gets bigger than the, the younger population. Yeah, the younger population. We, we all, the boomers hit 65, sorry. Yeah, there is a tipping point date that I don't remember the yeah, date. Remember. Uh, the, uh, something like maybe it's 2040, where the global population actually starts to decline, yeah. uh, and and uh, fairly precipitously. Uh, and so that that is this the the staffing issue and the short uh, the short staffing issue, uh, particularly with the boomer population retiring, so many people reevaluating their lives and not wanting to. Um, not wanting to participate in what my dad always called the rat race any longer. This is not an issue that's going away. And so coming back to the world of CX and what executives are thinking about and small businesses are thinking about, how can I provide value to my employees and my staff and, and, and continue to be a viable organization? Looking forward, both of you, take out your crystal ball. You've done a bit of that gazing, focusing on some of the information that, that Daryl shared. You've just reminded me I need to get Daryl on this podcast for sure. Look he won't have anything to say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. um, take out your crystal ball. If we look to the future and you can choose your, your time period as, as you see fit, are you seeing a brighter future? Are you anticipating worse to come? Mike, let's go to you to give us that citizen perspective, as it were, first off. So I'll start with the my optimistic view. The arc of human progress has generally been towards progress. We have found a way, much like the stock market, there are ups and downs, but we have found a way to make people healthier, to have people live longer, to to provide um, more economic opportunity on all of those things. It has not been universal or equal. But generally, no matter where you would look back, be it 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you would say today is better than it was then, right? There may be some nostalgia and things like that. But right now, the three things we look at are that sentiment piece, social cohesion, are people willing to work together, and you know, uh, financial health. Do people have the the capital to with, withstand shocks, um, crises, those concerns? And all of those are down um, since since 2020. Um, you know, we didn't come out of the pandemic. And if you go back to March 2020, and you'd said to people. The pandemic's hit. We don't have vaccines. The economy's shut down. This is where the world is. If we just said, fast forward to 2022, and there'll be so much growth, we're worried about inflation, everybody will have a vaccine. You just said, well, our problems are solved. But we haven't solved our problems. So I, I think we dip. I think we struggle. Um, 
people are with the pandemic's proven that people are adaptable. Um, so when you get the sustainability, quality of life issues, I think people will find a path that works. Like I said, there'll, there'll be dips on the way to progress, but I think we'll generally lead to more progress. Disruption breeds innovation. Um, Listen to a speaker the other uh, a month ago or so who argued, and I was I've been trying to get the data from him on, on this, but argued that it is you know these globally disruptive events like world wars, global pandemics, which have bred the most sustainable and profitable innovation in the long term, stands to reason. And so I, I look to organizations and look for places where that positive disruptive innovation is happening and feel good about that. In the financial services world, the fintechs, the financial technology companies are doing some amazing things that the banks are not, for lots of good reasons, that the banks are not able to do. I think that the future is bright, but the future will look very different than the than the present of today on on many fronts uh, in terms of the way business is done. Um, right now, we have single sourced organizations. We have a bank that is a bank, a post office that is a post office. And already we're seeing in so many places in Africa, in China, in Asia, where a bank is also a post office, is also a retailer, is also a, you know, an advisory hub, it's also many things. And so these ecosystems and these networks of businesses, I think, is one of the positive things that we're starting to see happen currently. And I, you know, lots of, maybe, hopefully, lots of other positive disruptions to be seen uh, in the next little while. So more mashups is what you're saying. More mashups. It's all mashups. Everything is a mashup. Yeah. <laughs> Just as well, long as dinner is not a mashup too. Everything put together into one thing. Oh, see, no, don't don't even go there. That just takes us into the whole aging discussion. We certainly don't <laughs> want to go there, do we? No, now you've depressed me again. Oh, I was, that, I was kind of the future is bright. The future is different. Uh, yeah. One of the things mashup. that I get called regularly is a uh, wet blanket. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I have a, a, a friend who used to work in a, an ad agency, and uh, every time I would talk to her and put my social political hat on, she said, "It's great because every problem you see, I see an opportunity for my clients." So, to your point, Ray, that you know, out of disruption, out of a lot of these things, those businesses that tact quickly, that find the path, tend to actually not only survive the downside, but actually grow on the on, on the rebound. So, Ghost Kitchens. Ghost Kitchens is my favorite example of mm-hmm. that. You know, through the pandemic, around the world, ghost kitchens got got you know grew up, and there are some ghost kitchens which are multi multi million dollar businesses now, just providing a kitchen for a place that does nothing but deliver food, you know, off of Uber Eats or whatever is your local Foodora version. Um, amazing innovation. It's a crazy innovation. I love to hear examples of that. And if any of the listeners have examples of those types of innovation, please do share because they are great examples for all of us to use with our clients in terms of what is possible in, in, in the future. Thank you both. Genuinely, I really loved sitting here and listening to a, a really fascinating conversation. It was one of those things where you start at the outside and we were all quite jocular. It was it was amusing thinking about whether or not this would work and bringing you two together. But it's it's for me it's worked and I, I'm sure for our listeners it's worked. It's been a really fascinating insight. 
taken into account both your lens. So thank you. I've really enjoyed having you on. Um, we will be inviting you back, Ray, for the third time, Mike, for the <laughs> second time. <laughs> and we will certainly be inviting Daryl back and I'll be pointing um, our listeners to his book. Mike, um, if our listeners want to hear Educated Conjecture standalone, where should they go to, to listen to that? Anywhere you find a podcast, whether it's uh, the Ipsos website, uh, Spotify, Apple, it's uh, it's it, it's there at Educated Conjecture. If you Google it, you'll find it. I don't think there's another one. So check it out, and of course, don't don't forgo customer perspective for that. Listen nope. to them both. Um, if you'd like to know any more, just head on over to ipsos.com or, of course, get in touch with either Mike or Ray through me, helen.wilson at ipsos.com. We would love to hear from you. But for now, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. See thank you, Mike. you, Helen. See you, Ray. Take care. Thanks, all. Thanks, Helen. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. New episodes will be made available every two weeks, so make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get the episodes sent straight to you. We're also available on Spotify. Spotify.